came here today to get an up-close and personal look at the seven traitors to the United States Constitution. Okay, again, We're please. sitting at that desk. Citizens popped off yesterday at an Arizona hearing with Patriot after Patriot dressing down county officials for mishandling the midterm elections. We'll have the latest from Arizona after the break. Well, surprise, surprise, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors unanimously certified the so-called results of the midterm elections. Carrie Lake has filed a lawsuit to challenge this, of course. Maricopa County is Arizona's most populous county, so it makes or breaks anyone running for office. There was a special Board of Supervisors meeting before certifying the results. A packed auditorium full of people voiced their concerns to the supervisors like this poll worker. He said that on, on election day, the entire polling location was inoperable for the first few hours. We had to tell them we had no way of checking them in. They could either wait for the problem to be resolved or go to another polling location to vote. Most of them left. Eventually, our troubleshooter co showed up but could not fix the problem and he suggested that we continue to wait for the T-Tech. While we were waiting, more voters showed up and had to be given their options. At least 50 people were turned away in this process. The T-Tech eventually showed up and got the site books to communicate with the main server, so we were able to clock in for our shift, but there was still a communication issue with the printers. When we finally ran test prints and it looked like the issue was fixed, we announced that the polls were open and I checked in the first voter. It was now about 7 a.m. The first voter was checked in, but the printer immediately failed to print her ballot. But the hearing really was just a formality. The corrupt Board of Supervisors was always going to certify this election despite the widely reported problems. We previously reported on how Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer and Supervisor Chairman Bill Gates launched a pack in 2021 to stop America First candidates. It's called Pro-Democracy Republicans of Arizona. One of its stated goals is to convince the public that the 2020 election was legitimate. Once again, Bill Gates is trying to convince you that this was a fair, legitimate election. The integrity of my colleagues up here on the dais and the integrity of Stephen Richer were questioned over and over and over again. And I know this is not my seat. This is the people's seat that I sit in. And one day I won't sit in this seat. But while I'm sitting here, I'm going to defend the integrity of these five men. You can think what you want to about me, but these are good men who are in public service for the right reasons. Many patriots were optimistic that there would be a fair election this time in Arizona, but the 2020 playbook worked again because really, honestly, nothing has really changed since 2020. No meaningful reforms have been passed. No guilty parties have, have been prosecuted. No safeguards were put in place. The official position of Maricopa County is that only 17,000 ballots were affected, which is calculated as 7% of election day votes. Now, the problem with that 7% figure is that you get a final election day vote total of 246,000 ballots, even though Maricopa County has admitted that there are about 750,000 voters showed up on election day. So, what happened to the missing half a million votes? Let's bring in financial investment, insurance, crypto, and hedge fund expert, Jonathan Cagle, who's been following all of this. 
Thanks so much for joining me, Jonathan. I saw, I, I was doing research for the show yesterday morning and I came across your thread and you had this amazing thread on the votes in Arizona. Thanks, Emerald. It's, uh, it, it was only a matter of really paying attention if you've been following kind of what's going on for the last three years and all this yeah. craziness we've been forced to live under. Yeah, it is. But more people are paying attention. So and for those of those who are not familiar with this thread, we've pulled some of it. I want to start with the FBI's involvement in Maricopa County. Uh, it's no coincidence that the FTX scandal story broke after the midterm elections. What's the connection between fundraising for Katie Hobbs and FTX? Well, the connection there is donation of Ukrainian aid from our tax dollars ended up coming back to fund Democrat campaigns through the form of cryptocurrency. Um, and obviously, I think they reported yesterday there's something to the effect of about $20 billion they don't have accounted for. But we've got the FEC filings, and we know exactly where campaign dollars are coming from. We always say the old adage, follow the money in any situation. Follow the money. Yeah, absolutely. Always follow the money. And then let's talk about these missing ballots, which uh, you tweeted about. What what is going on with these numbers? And we can pull your your tweet back up again. You say you didn't answer me because you had expected seven hundred fifty thousand eight hundred thousand ballots, but you tried to sneak this in, and we had receipts for that too. Explain what's going on here. So if you look at the document that they reported quietly, where they mentioned, I think it was 752,000 showed up and 500,000 and some change were were election day voters. They they like to, to use this language that's a little bit confusing and vague because it gives them easy out. But if you look at the same document that's respective to the 2020 general elections that Maricopa did, they reported that 90% of voters voted early or voted by mail because of the COVID pandemic, and that was the narrative. But still, they reported 10% voted in person on election day, which reported to 395,000 in-person on election day voters just in Maricopa County. And if you look at all their words and everything that they had said leading up to this election after the primaries, they expected double the amount of in-person voters, largely due to the end of the so-called COVID pandemic and the surge of Republicans no longer trusting uh, chains of custody that aren't really on their side. And so you can see that in their reported uh, Maricopa County elections reports. And at the same time, they simultaneously uh, expected to have a drop in the relative number of early votes or votes by mail. And if we consider what leads up to an election, I can't remember a more polarizing election in my lifetime where people are staring down the barrel of eight and a half percent inflation. They can't afford to go to work. We're sending tax dollars overseas that we really have no say in. And if you check your bank account or your 401k, you're really not happy with where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then you look at the popular vote and how much more Republicans got only. It, 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 this seems very strategic, right? 
With the numbers and the disparity in the numbers in Maricopa County, will that serve as a good basis for lawsuits? I I guess we can analyze this all day long, right, Jonathan? We can look at it. We can look and see what's wrong. We know something's wrong. But in 2020, nothing happened based on what we knew and found was absolutely wrong and not just Arizona, but multiple states. So what do you think is going to happen in Arizona? Clearly, the late campaign has filed a lawsuit. Um, there could be more lawsuits filed based on now the certifications. Where does this go? Well, I'll say where it needs to go versus where I think it goes, unfortunately. But people need to realize that we're facing an existential crisis um, because Arizona being a border state flanked by Nevada, California, and Texas, everything that's happened the last three years, especially with the border, uh, especially with all the technological advances, the social media buzz as far as getting out the vote, Elon purchasing Twitter and the federal government's really big brush back on that. We're getting flanked by really yeah. two fronts, the social media narrative preservation front, as well as the flood the border with people that we have no idea who they are, but we think that they'll, if we give them incentives, do our dirty work for us. And if we don't stop what's going on right now, there's not going to be a true 2024 election. And you can argue candidate quality all you want. You can argue election denier all you want. But that's really just lip service because in this same election, the Democrats elected John Fetterman and a literal dead person. So I don't really want to hear about candidate quality especially when Katie Hobbs didn't bother to campaign. <laughs> I mean, when you put it that way, Jonathan, it's pretty obvious. They did literally elect a dead person. So you can't say anything about candidate quality. I'm with you. I, But now we're kind of stuck in this cycle. And unless something happens with this, specifically with this Arizona election and there's some accountability and it's fixed, I just don't see a going forward after this. And I guess that sounds pessimistic. Yeah, it, it, it sounds pessimistic. And that's really the, the problem that people that have been paying attention have is because you see all this happen on social media and you see what narratives yeah. get built and, and what's going on in real life. What are real life people dealing with? And the thing that's frustrating is that it, it almost seems to fall down the quote-unquote Twitter feed after just a, a few hours, and then people move on to the next it thing. Does. But they really need to understand what war that we're facing right now and what it means, because if you control all levers of both the execution and the adjudication of a process, you control yep. the outcome of the process. And that's not, a, that's not ground that we should yeah. ever concede on. And so I don't know what the, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, the blood of, you know, the, the tree of liberty is, you know, watered from time to time with the blood of patriots, but that's where they're pushing us to. And it's kind of, they're bottlenecking us into a situation where we have no appropriate legal recourse through the normal avenues. So it, it's scary. Yeah. Well, the courts have not been willing to really take up the cases, but we'll we'll see what happens with Arizona. I mean, we'll continue to follow it. 
through these days, even though sure. you know, technically they say the results are certified. Thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Emerald. Have a great one. After the break, we'll delve more into that FTX funding and what it meant for political candidates and political PACs after the break. More crypto calamity for Christmas. Reuters is reporting that the cryptocurrency exchange Bitfront, which is backed by a Japanese social media company, is going belly up. The latest news comes as we continue to learn more about the crypto crime group FTX, which is under several criminal investigations after imploding, such as new reports that FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried or SBF, invested over $100 million into this tiny bank called Farmington State Bank, which is the 26th smallest bank in the country with only three employees. And SBF and FTX, as we've been learning, invested heavily in politicians, particularly Democrat politicians, with a Gateway Pundit reported that, according to FEC reports, SBF gave $27 million to a uh, dollars to a Phoenix-based PAC tied to a particular Arizona Democrat activist and consultant who supported Katie Hobbs. CNBC crypto trader and founder of Crypto Banter, Ryan Nooner, is a tongue, in a tongue-in-cheek tweet listed the entities thankful for people who had funds on FTX, the Democrats, the FDA, Big Pharma, anti-ivermectin trials, woke media, and Barbara Freed and her husband. But some Republicans can also be thankful for FTX funds as well, and that includes Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy to the tune of $2.5 million and $2 million respectively for their PACs. Let's welcome in Angie Wong, who is the president of Legacy PAC and the spokesperson for Veterans for America First. Good to see you, Angie. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, Angie, someone who works with PACs, how problematic, if at all, are these FTX donations to politicians and political PACs? Well, generally, there is no problems because with a super PAC, you can donate pretty much unlimited amounts. And then the super PAC then decides what to do with that money. Uh, likely supporting, you know, uh, campaigns and, and candidates. But the problem here is how the money went to the super PACs. And it appears as though money that was allocated to UK, uh, Ukraine relief and aid uh, from the Biden administration went through the Ukraine and then uh, authorities in the Ukraine then purchased crypto using FTX and other services. Um, that's where it's problematic because then there appears to be some sort of coordination. Uh, because afterwards, what happened was uh, many of the candidates that you just showed in your list, well, those candidates received campaign donations from FTX and its employees. So that's where I guess the mystery needs to be solved and that's why there's investigations happening as we speak. Now, let me ask you, well, it's, as, as we noticed from the list that you put up, that we put up and you had shared on your social media, there were quite a lot of Republican politicians that benefited from these dollars as well. Is that, do you think that will have an impact on how FTX is treated by what will now be a Republican majority in Congress in January? 
Yes, I believe that FTX donated both to Republicans and Democrats and super PACs. They were just spreading their money across the board. Uh, the Democrats uh, benefiting mostly with a reported $40 million. Uh, but Kevin McCarthy's PAC, Congressional Leadership Fund, also received a little bit over $2 million, and Mitch McConnell's uh, fund as well, uh, $2.5 million. So uh, what we are, I guess, alluding to is that there has been some sort of influence with our midterm elections. Uh, we have a long, long list of Republicans who've received maximum dollar amount uh, for campaign donations. Uh, by FTX and its employees, as well as supporting super PACs. Uh, for example, Michelle Bond in New York Congressional District 1, uh, not only does she receive um, something like $17,000, which is over the limit, uh, according to the FEC reportings, but her uh, supporting super PAC also received $16 million uh, in support of her race. Ultimately, she didn't win, but as you reported earlier, Katie Hobbs, also got money. So, you know, these things are really questionable. Um, and at a time when, you know, uh, the uh, campaigns are run entirely on donation money, this really did sway the elections. And, and it wasn't just some of those groups on the list. There were some groups that were left off, which you noticed. What was significant about the groups that were left off of the list that you shared? Why, why was it important that FTX gave money to them? And who were they, some of them, that you, you know, noted? Uh, a lot of them were, uh, you know, PACs like Stand New York. Um, a lot of them went to New York PACs, I, I noticed. Uh, we, we're still doing a full dive into who received what. Uh, everything is publicly uh, reported, which is good, which makes this less nefarious, right? Uh, but it just smells bad because it looks as though, you know, the Ukraine was used as a laundromat. But ultimately, um, if everything's well documented, well, no problems, right? Except that, um, you know, uh, the appearance looks bad. So even as of yesterday, Beto O'Rourke returned a $1 million check to FTX. You know, he knows to have a political career, you can't have this kind of smudge. In fact, I was just looking up who returned yeah. checks and uh, who basically rejected money. There were about 57 congressional members who said no to FTX money. You only had five congressional members who took the money from FTX, but also voted no for Ukraine aid. So people knew what was going on here. They, it mm. smelled they wanted. Uh, and now it's, well, you know, we're going to see whether or not any of the money is returned by any of the Republican lists that you uh, had laid out or any of the Democrats. Um, and because the story is now being, well, not the story, this is, you know, an open case in many jurisdictions, including the U.S., the Bahamas, as well as uh, in Asia. I know the Manhattan DA is looking at it right now as well. So, you know, we're uh, likely going to see charges and any politicians don't want, they don't want to get dirtied up by this. You know who isn't looking at it though, Angie, is the media. Not very much. And so while we're on the subject, I do have to bring up uh, the, the fact that, you know, someone pointed out in a tweet, actually it was a, a Republican committee man pointed out in a tweet that uh, the potential ties to Katie Hobbs remains underreported by or investigated by the media. 
But so does the FTX scandal in general. Tom Elliott, who is, you know, has a big social media account, put together a comparison between the FTX fallout coverage and the Kanye Nick Fuentes dinner with Donald Trump. And it's quite a startling disparity in coverage. A couple hours as compared to almost 24 hours worth of coverage on that, you know, dinner. Uh, so it looks like if, if, Anything does happen with FTX, you're not going to see it on corporate media. You'll have to find it on outlets like ours. <laughs> I'm thankful that you're covering it. This story has legs, legs beyond anything that is being uh, beyond a Kanye dinner right now at Mar-a-Lago, right? I mean, it, it, this one actually does impact your life in, in many ways. As we know, we are we are starting to all come out and say his uh, FTX's money did affect our midterms. So the next logical question would be, does FTX or the like, does that money affect 2024? Because remember, we're still missing a few billion dollars. Yeah. And we have to remember that FTX is not one company. It's about a hundred different companies and subsidiaries around the world in multiple jurisdictions. I was speaking to a financial fraud expert over the weekend and he, did a water float chart for me. And it almost appears to that um, it's been designed to be chaotic. It's been designed to be disorganized so that you could not ever sort through where the money went, what's the PL, who, you know, who on the board approved whatever. Um, and it's going to be over multiple jurisdictions. So this is going to take many, many years to solve, again, possibly by design. So that's something that we have to, uh, you know, consider going forward. And also, we have to remember who is investigating this. We have Maxine Waters investigating this for the House Committee at the moment. Maybe that will change come January third, but uh, at the moment, she's in charge. She's also uh, paid a visit to Sam Bankman-Fried in April of this year, where towards the end, uh, as he's exiting the room, she's blowing kisses at him. Right? We have a very woke Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, who is investigating this uh, for bank fraud and securities fraud. Honestly, he is uh, probably the worst person to be investigating this. So my fear is that we're not going to see discovery papers on this. The public will probably get tired of the story at some point because crypto is a very confusing thing. Um, and then uh, all of this, this chaotic moment that we're having with FTX and crypto, we have to remember that Joe Biden is about to put out uh, an executive order in mid-December where he is a U.S.-backed crypto, right? So it almost feels as though all of this is being set up and the stage is being set up, an environment is being set up that is chaotic to say, hey, I'm Joe Biden. I have the answer for you. Here are trusted banks such as- I Citibank, think you're right. Uh, you know, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, they're all issuing their own tokens. In fact, they just uh, went through the patent process around November 15th, uh, a few weeks ago. So we're going to see that coming up. And um, you have to imagine that that's the period that we're living through right now, where we're going to say 30 year olds can't handle crypto. It's too messy, but we can. So expect that in December.
I think you're absolutely right, and that is uh, that is a development that we'll be keeping our eye on as well, because it's a clear priority of the Biden administration, something that was discussed at the G20 as well, mm-hmm. and didn't get a lot of coverage. Thanks so much, Angie Wong. Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. Tonight on the Worldview Report, China explodes in protests, the likes of which have not been seen since Tiananmen Square in 1989, as the Chinese people have finally had enough of the communist regime's zero COVID restrictions and lockdowns. Mike Lindell announces he's running for chairman of the RNC. And Disney is at it again, inserting evil symbolism into its new Christmas movie. All these stories and more as the Worldview Report begins right now. This is Worldview Report with host Brandon House. Whether it is news from the nation's capital or your state capital, from the classroom to the boardroom, from national security to national and local news that impacts you and your family, Worldview Report is your trusted source for vital and uncensored news. And now, here is Brandon House. Good evening and welcome to the Worldview Report. I'm your host, Brandon House. Leading off tonight, Joe Biden says the quiet part out loud. Democrats have long argued that they want so-called common sense gun reform and that they are not for the outright confiscation of all semi-auto firearms. Of course, we all know and knew they were lying. Left to their own devices, they would make every gun on the market illegal outside of a single-shot rifle and shotgun. Then they'd come for those. Biden proved it with his comment on Thanksgiving Day in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Biden declared, it quote, sick, end quote, that any American is allowed to own a semi-auto handgun or rifle of any kind, proving his regime is not just after so-called assault weapons, whatever those are. Truth is, the definition of assault weapon was always intentionally vague because they don't want to be limited to any one model in the planned gun grab. Listen to Biden spill the beans in this video. Red flag laws, period. Just based on knowledge, not on a parent saying or a loved one saying, you should arrest this person now for his own sake. It's ridiculous. We got a, one of the first red flag laws in the state of Delaware, my son Bo is the one enforcing it. And it made a lot of difference. It saves lives. That's number one. Number two, the idea, the idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. It's just sick. It has no, no social redeeming value. Zero. None. Not a single solitary rationale for it except profit for the gun manufacturer. Can you do anything about gun laws during the lame duck, sir? I'm going to try. What will you try and do? I'm going to try to get rid of assault weapons. During the lame duck? I'm going to do it whenever I, I got to make that assessment as I get in. They don't just want your AR-15, folks. They want your pistols, your everyday carry pistol, like the Glock 19 or any other variant of the type of millions of guns Americans carry every day to protect themselves from the out-of-control crime that has taken over during the Biden tenure in the White House. In fact, new studies show that the number of people now lawfully carrying has drastically increased. I mean drastically. Let's make this very clear. It's the left that's causing the crime while they want to confiscate your guns. They cause the crime 
by refusing to fully prosecute violent felons. And then they come in with a solution, which is to take away the guns from law-abiding Americans. Based on this comment and others by Biden and his allies, it now appears that Joe Biden and the Democrats, with the help most likely of a few rhino Republicans, are planning to make a hard play for Americans' semi-auto firearms in the lame duck session of Congress. If they succeed, it will get interesting because plenty of Americans have watched the way this regime operates outside the boundaries of any law, and they have pledged not to give up their weapons. While most Americans were celebrating Thanksgiving and watching football, China broke out in mass protest over the Chinese Communist Party's COVID lockdowns and crushing zero COVID restrictions. On November 23rd, a fire broke out at a high-rise apartment in one city. Because of the Chinese lockdown, it is claimed the doors to the building were locked from the outside. People could not escape. At last count, more than 44 people died, including children. That touched off widespread protests in cities across China. Keep in mind, as you watch some of the video footage we have assembled here, that this is why Biden and company want Americans to turn in their guns so they can treat us like you see the Chinese police treating the Chinese people. Watch these brave Chinese confronting the brutal communist regime. Imagine if those people had AR-15s instead of pieces of broken fence posts. And yet, they fight anyway. Our prayers go to the brave Chinese people fighting against their communist oppressors. And let's not forget that Klaus Schwab, founder and executive director of the globalist World Economic Forum, has said that China's techno-communist style of tyranny is the role model for many countries. Take a look at Schwab's comments following the G20 meeting just two weeks ago. On the G20, you were there meeting some of the leaders as well. Professor Schwab, what do you make of the result? Finally, they put something as a statement, and it seems quite positive with all the voices included. I think it's positive. It's uh, already positive through the fact that everybody agreed about the statement, which we haven't had the last years. Now, the base has been formed, but um, we have to go one step further. We have to have a strategic mood. We have to construct the world of tomorrow. It's a systemic transformation of the world. So we have to define how the world should look like, which we want to come out of this transformation period. I uh, respect uh, China's achievements, which are tremendous over the last uh, over 40 years. I think it's um, a role model for many countries. Well, till next time at Brandon House, thanks for watching. May God save America. Take care. Anybody who even has a peripheral understanding of evolutionary virology will tell you 
these viruses could not possibly turn into SARS-CoV-2. So when you talk about a leak, maybe there's a lab leak, but it's not with the viruses that the NIH was funding. That's almost certain that that's the case. That was Dr. Tony Fauci on CNN yesterday, not two years ago, which you may have justifiably thought upon initially watching that clip, given that there are now almost no scientists in the world who would go on camera and say that the NIH funding didn't likely have something, at least, to do with the creation of SARS-CoV-2. But one can always count on Dr. Fauci to go on TV and make absurd claims while admitting the truth in private. And that's clearly what the good doctor has done, yet again, making this claim on CNN while admitting under oath in a closed deposition last week in the Missouri versus Biden case that he knew the lab leak theory had merit, but that he sought to immediately discredit it as he's attempting to do now as he faces the threat of oversight from a Republican majority. And you can always count on Dr. Fauci to continue to fearmonger. And here he's doing just that as recently as two days ago on Face the Nation. Coming out of the holidays, should parents expect schools to shut down? I don't know, uh, uh, Margaret. I'm not sure. When, when you talk about shutting down schools, there's always the collateral That's also radioactive. <laughs> exactly. There's always the collateral issue. So you have to balance and you do it in real time, depending upon the viral load of disease in your region. Dr. Fauci threatening a possible school closures once again after the holidays. He also stopped by Chuck Todd's Meet the Press, even though Fauci felt comfortable doing the interview in person without a mask. He insisted the pandemic isn't over and he pushed the new COVID booster no one seems to want to get. It's up to us to make sure that doesn't happen. And that's the thing that's very frustrating, Chuck, among public health officials, including myself. We have an updated vaccine booster that we want to yeah. do, but the uptake of that is, is you know, less than 15%. It's some, somewhere between 11 and 15%. We've got to do better than that. Remember last year when Dr. Fauci was on Chuck Todd's show and declared himself a spokesperson for all of science? Fauci said that attacks on him were attacks on science. It seems like his ego certainly hasn't gotten any smaller since then. And joining me now to discuss how people like Fauci and the media work together to keep people compliant is outspoken virologist and immunologist Dr. Robert Malone. He's also the author of a new book out soon called Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Future Coming which comes out on December 6th. Thank you, Dr. Malone, for joining me. Congrats on the book. You know what I love about the title? Hey, I think it's a great title, Lies My Government Told Me. But then you also add a little uh, hope in there in the second part of that title. Tell me before we get into the nitty gritty, why do you feel hopeful? Because so many people aren't these days, Dr. Malone. Uh, I agree. And, and I think it's really important to uh, remember Keep in mind, Ronald Reagan, it's morning in America. We don't have to uh, live in the world which the World Economic Forum is trying to shape for us. This globalist, transhuman, fourth industrial revolution, centralized control world. That's not the future we have to have. It's the future that they seem to want to shape for us. And the, the title of the book has a, you know, it, the provenance is much like what you're saying. Uh, I think Tony Lyons gets the credit for coming up with the original uh, line, lies my government told me. And I just felt it was too grim. 
and I wanted to I, I wanted to make sure that we had some positive component to this. People need hope. They need a vision of the future that's positive as an alternative to this very dark vision, um, dystopian vision that seems to be being pushed on us. And I am hopeful. We are seeing clear signs all over the world of the emergence of a growing consensus about the need for a different way of structuring ourselves, of a decentralized world, um, and a world that still believes in nation states. That's one of the uh, uh, core predicates of the World Economic Forum and UN vision of the world is that nation states are obsolete. And I think that the vision of the founders of this country remains true and uh, it really hasn't been that long since they did all that hard thinking. Uh, and I think that their insights, even though the language may be a little antiquated, the insights about human nature and economics and how to structure a representative democracy in a way that is designed for small government and for a uh, decentralized alliance of smaller states, it still remains a model for the world. I, I, and speaking as such, I, I like the the term you use in your book, specifically when you're talking talking about how Dr. Tony Fauci goes out there and speaks to the public. You call it ad fear tizing, and I think that's pretty pretty accurate. But as you heard with Tony Fauci in that clip. Uh, on uh, on Face the Nation, or, or excuse me, on Chuck Todd's show, Be the Press, less than 15% of people are now choosing to take the boosters. So would you say that the public's becoming more aware of this advertising and desensitized to it and are making better decisions for themselves, personal decisions, rather than relying on the so-called experts? Thanks for that. And I don't want to take credit for that. It's been a, an effort by so many people. I've contributed it, to it. I, I think I'm one voice in the choir is the best way to think about it. But we've all been singing the song of personal responsibility. You have to take responsibility for your actions and for what you're going to allow to be done to your children. And the data are clear that these products are neither safe nor effective despite what uh, Anthony Fauci tries to gaslight us all about. And this is gaslighting. He does it all the time. He plays the uh, card of uh, building straw mans and attacking them, appeals to authority. And by the way, he, is cons he considers himself to be the ultimate authority. This, this is not going to go down as a pretty time in history. And I don't think that Tony Fauci is going to be remembered with fondness. I, and I do want to talk specifically about the vaccine of which Dr. Tony Fauci is continuing to go out there and push, as is the Biden administration. It remains one of their major priorities right now as an administration is to get as many people to take the booster shots as possible. Now, you are an expert on the mRNA technology, having uh, contributed to the to the development of it. So I want to uh, bring up something that was discussed on an Aust Australian journalist TV show recently. Dr. Stephanie Seneff went on the show to talk about how mRNA can quickly turn into DNA, quickly turn uh, into DNA and cancer cells. She's a senior research scientist at MIT. Let me play a clip from that interview for you. Listen. 
but they took the mRNA and turned it into DNA very quickly. They, they, after six hours, they, they started seeing DNA, a DNA version of the RNA that was in the vaccine, which is really remarkable because you see these fact checkers who say, ha ha ha, you know, these people are saying that this RNA can get converted into DNA in the cell. No way, that doesn't happen. Don't worry about it. These guys showed it happens in six hours. Dr. Malone, can you speak to that possibility? Yes, so uh, there is an enzyme called reverse transcriptase, which is uh, encoded by retroviruses, which normally does this. It's been long known, uh, despite what the likes of Anthony Fauci assert. Anybody that has any credentials as a retrovirologist knows of this enzyme. The Nobel Prize was awarded to David Baltimore for it. And uh, Rudy Yanish showed very early in the outbreak that you could get this phenomena of reverse transcription of RNA into DNA. There's also another pathway for doing this, which has to do with formation of triple helix. So the RNA can kind of wrap itself around the DNA double helix or an open DNA single strand and influence uh, the replication of the DNA and cause that to then Um, incorporate these sequences. The key question is, is it clinically relevant? Uh, Does this happen often enough to be associated with clinical disease? And if it does, the place you're most likely to find it is in oncology, in in the uh, uh, development of cancers, tumor cells. And uh, that also has been long known. So any of these folks that deny that this could happen are not on solid scientific ground. And usually the ones that are making these statements have no uh, solid scientific training because anybody who does have knowledge in this area and training knows that this is a a well-understood and accepted phenomena. Again, what I emphasize is uh, that we need to recognize that just because something can happen doesn't mean that it does happen at a sufficient frequency Uh, to cause clinical disease. The flip side is we can't rule out that it doesn't because the pharmaceutical industry did not do its job and the FDA did not insist on its doing its job and characterizing what's called genotoxicity, which is a standard set of assays that would be done uh, to rule out this kind of phenomena. And for some reason, the FDA elected to apply the vaccines checklist as opposed to the gene therapy checklist. And here we are um, still speculating about something that should have been well understood long before these products were administered to billions of humans. Well, and Dr. Malone, they're now talking about evolving other vaccines for other diseases into mRNA technology, gene therapy. Yeah, so let me speak to that. Um, So uh, this comes out of a meeting at the World Health Organization chaired by uh, former Merck scientist Margaret Liu, in which it was advocated by uh, U.S. uh, agencies as well as the pharmaceutical industry that this be considered a platform technology and be grandfathered in. What that means is that Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech basically have a monopoly in the foreseeable future and can just readily deploy modified uh, mRNA uh, 
uh, encoding different proteins for different vaccines and for genetic medicines. So we currently have over 50 clinical trials enrolling on mRNA, novel mRNA vaccines, and over 100 are planned. So uh, this is the landscape we're in, is uh, the FDA has basically rolled over um, and asked Pfizer to scratch their belly like a good dog would, um, and uh, is going along with uh, this policy that assumes that the technology is fully safe uh, and not questioning whether additional testing should be done. So that, that absolutely is something that should be brought up in the House and hopefully in uh, Ron Johnson's Senate hearings uh, coming up in just a, a couple of weeks. And are you continuing to have conversations with law, lawmakers about your concerns regarding this technology? Uh, of course, and uh, also with uh, um, others involved in various legal cases against the government, including cases involving collusion, uh, having to do with censorship, collusion between the government and uh, um, the technology uh, industry. Uh, I, I will be participating in Senator Johnson's upcoming hearings, and I I don't seek this. I, I really don't like D.C. I don't like the culture there, uh, but um, <laughs> you know, it it if I'm called to serve, just as you would, if I'm asked to serve my government, I will be glad to do so. Having just gotten out of D.C. not long ago myself, I will have to say that's a that's a pretty big sacrifice because I, too, dislike D.C. very much. Before we close the segment, I do want to ask you, getting back to your book, Dr. Malone, what do you what do you believe is the biggest lie your government told you? I, I got that question the other day in a podcast. Looking back over it, I still think that the uh, obfuscation, the lies around the lab leak, um, and the origin of the virus are profound. And they're so well documented that that has to be one of the big ones. There's so many now. Somebody told me about the book. They, their comment was, well, this is a book that will never end. Uh, it will continually expand. Uh, but uh, I, as I look back, um, the, it, the documentation around the obfuscation, the, the attempt to gaslight, and a block any discussion of yeah. the uh, origin having to do with laboratory engineering, which as in your initial clip is still ongoing. That, that is explosive. Yeah. They cannot allow that to uh, become uh, mainstream because if so, people are gonna go to jail. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, go get the book, Lies My Government Told Me, and The Better Future Coming. It's available right now for pre-order on Amazon. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Malone. It's good to talk to you again. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on.